This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber and one of his six cats. This is Ninja. And uh, so, yeah, we're um, having fun. My, my first story is to be about black cats. I thought, how appropriate. So anyway, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to talk about anything, answer questions. You can get a hold of us at 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can also, uh, better yet, join us here live with Zoom. Uh, you just go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and you can join us here. Just click on that long link sent to you, and you can be live right here, just like I'm sitting here with one of your pets, either next to you or on your lap. And um, what better way to spend a Sunday? So um, anyway, hope everybody had a, a safe Halloween. Last week, we talked about some of the dangers if you are one that like to dress their pets up in costume, I hope you had a, a safe thing. We had, I was just talking to our producer, we had no trick-or-treaters. I know a lot of municipalities, I think ours did, uh, had a ban. They didn't want any trick-or-treaters. Uh, we actually did cheat and have two. And um, two of my granddaughters came by and uh, they wanted to fill up with a little candy, which certainly I was ready. So now I'm, I bought that big, I didn't know what to expect. So I bought that big bag of 150 little candies from Costco right? And it has everything, all my favorites. Why did I buy that? I'm such an idiot because now that nobody, none of the kids came by to have it, I'm going to eat it. And uh, I figured, you know what? I'm going to bring him to work tomorrow. No problem. Well, guess what? The work also bought that same big bag. So, so oh God, I'll get, if I look different next week, it's because I put on a few pounds. Anyway, let's talk about the, the first story I saw was black cats. And, you know, especially around Halloween time, you always see, you know, we always tell people, if you have a black cat, people are really weird about black cats. You know, bring them in. Don't let them go outside. And um, so they're very poorly perceived. One of the things they said, they're less friendly. Now, I'd say to you, does this cat look less friendly to you? So how we actually found him is that he was outside. My daughter was sitting outside waiting for a friend to pick her up. And uh, she saw this black cat, this sweet cat. And she called it over and it came over to her. And she petted and he rubbed against her and very sweet. And then her friend came on, it came to pick her up and that was it. Two days later, she's outside and guess who she sees? This cat again. So she goes ahead and this time she makes the big mistake. What's the big mistake? You go into the house and you bring food outside. Now, if you want to get a cat to not leave you alone, bring it some food. So definitely brought us some food and he's, look at him. He is so sweet. If you heard him, he's purring away. So I took him to the office to scan him for a microchip. Didn't have any, put post notices up in the neighborhood. Nobody knew anything about this poor cat. So we brought him inside. Well, obviously he was an outdoor cat. All my cats are indoors. And yet he would try at first to make a beeline. Every time he saw an open window or open door, he was gone, right? So now we can actually, I can take him in front of an open door. I mean, literally wide open. He'll step up to the threshold. He'll take a peek outside, like right, look right, look left. And then um, after that, he turns around, comes right back inside. He says, what do I go out there for? I got it made here. I got everything here for me. So um, in other countries, so they, you know, they tend to evoke these superstitions, which is really not true. And they just say in other countries outside of the US, black cats thought to be symbols of luck, prosperity, protection, and this is really cute. 
I, I find this with, with dogs, but they can increase the owner's ability to attract suitors. Now, when I was in college, uh, I brought my dog, a big black Labrador, to school with me up at Berkeley. And I always say there is no better, as pardon the, the expression, because this is what it was like back 40, uh, 45, almost 50 years ago, best chick magnet that you can ever imagine than having this magnificent big black lab walking around campus with me and everybody wants to say hi and everybody wanted to pet him. Oh boy, it was really tough. So these black cats, they can attract suitors. So if you want to attract a suitor, it might be an idea to, to get a black cat. Anyway, I'm going to let him chill. He may come back up my lap because he loves being up here, but he's really, really sweet. Okay. So uh, other stories in the news. Interestingly, that pet cemeteries are revealing animal like changes in animal status. And here's what they used. They took markers, you know, like, like gravestones, tombstones, on pets' graves. Fewer than 1% of the markers, this is pre-1910, referred to pets as, in quotes, part of the family. Fewer than 1%. That's terrible. Now, after World War II, looking at the same thing, this was, uh, this was looked at in the United Kingdom, four different cemeteries. It's 20% referred to pets as part of the family. That's post-World War II. Now, I don't think anyone's done a study since then. I'd like to know what you think. I think that if one were to do it today and look at it, gone to a pet cemetery and read the stones, the markers, I would venture to say that number has got to be in the 90s, you know, about considering pets as part of them. Think of it this way. If the pet wasn't part of the family, would you really bury it at a pet cemetery? I mean, come on, if it was really just a piece of property, you'd, I don't know, take it to the shelter, let them cremate and whatever. If you was part of the family, you're going to have them cremated and you're going to keep the ashes. And I, that's a, a good marker. I would like to know, go to the crematoriums and ask how many of the cremations do they do? What percent are people want individual cremations where they get their ashes back? That's going to be a really good sign of how people truly think about their pets. So I thought that was very interesting. Here's a good one. At Purdue University School of Veterinary Medicine, a professor named Maggie O'Hare, she led a study of 76 veterans who had service dogs and 65 that were on the waiting list. And then they looked at overall symptoms of PTSDs and you know the, the post-traumatic stress disorder and the many symptoms involved. And they were all lower amongst the group that already had dogs lower than the 65 who are waiting for dogs. So I think that tells you a lot about the ability of dogs who have a positive impact on veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. So um, if you in any way, shape or form can support those charities, and I work with a charity just like it now, do what you can. I think it's so important. And there's obviously a very, very beneficial impact. So this I like too. Lymphoma is a very common cancer that we see in our pets, dogs and cats. And um, there's a new lymphoma treatment that is being used in, uh, it's a small trial at Tufts University School of Veterinary Medicine. And basically, this could enable a better quality of life. It's only two medications. Uh, they could be oral. And um, they found so far, the early results are very promising. That so much so that not only could it benefit our canine patients, but possibly people too. Because as you know, a lot of oncology, we use the same drugs. Protocols might be a little different, but it's the same medications. Philosophies of treatment are a bit different because our pets don't live as long as we would like. You know, you got a pet, a big dog, cancer, maybe he's going to live to 13, 14. So our goal in treating cancer in veterinary medicine is more about quality of life. 
Whereas on the human side, the goal is to kill off the cancer. So the the amounts and the protocols the of the drugs that they use are much more aggressive, so much so that, as you know, I'm sure you know some people that have gone through chemotherapy, it makes them very sick. But the goal is they want to kill off the cancer immediately or as long as it, as much treatment as it takes to do so, so then they can have their long life. In dogs, we know their lives are so shortened anyway that we're less aggressive. The goal really is to curb the cancer, slow it down, maybe eradicate it, but not to the point of hurting the animal to do so because we don't see the long-term benefit because there is no long-term benefit when it comes to pets. So anyway, again, that's, that's I think, really good news. And uh, it's also speaking of military veterans, there's now, again, very, as you know, dogs are used in the military a lot. They're also used in police work. They're using, obviously, drugs, airports. So bomb sniffing, they're, they're, they're many, they're, they're amazing, really, what it boils down to. But in the Army, when they now have what's called a walking blood bank, now what they're doing is every single dog in the Army, all right, is blood typed and make sure that wherever they are, there will be enough blood trans- for, for transfusion should they become sick or injured in the line of duty. So instead of having to transport them and wait and blood type them, all that information is there in advance. So the Army is prepared and the Army Veterinary Corps are prepared to work on these dogs immediately. I think there are two issues here. Number one is to help those dogs. But I think as importantly is the value that the U.S. military sees in these dogs, that they are willing to go out of their way to make sure that these animals can easily be treated and hopefully saved, I think says a a lot for the view that not only we, of course, as pet lovers, but even the military, even police forces have about their pets. They really are part of the uh, military. They are part of the police force. And I think their their position is, is magical. This is something that we've talked about before. It frustrates me. It saddens me. I would say say that's a better word than frustrates because in my era, in my day, we never had this problem. Or if we did, it wasn't publicly presented. So I didn't know about it. In fact, if one were to ask me about how I feel about veterinary medicine, I would tell you for sure it is the best profession on the planet. I could see myself doing nothing else. Again, though some of my classmates are retiring, this is my 37th year of doing it. And I, I, as long as my health stays up, I could do it till, till I go. And yet, yet burnout among veterinarians, okay, is, you know, I, I look at that as I, really, I, I question mark it. Burnout? How do you possibly burn out? Can you imagine like getting to do something you love to do every single day? How do you burn out? Anyway, there was a, um, a veterinarian, his name is Ivan Zakarinkov. He surveyed 1,457 veterinary practice professionals, mostly veterinarians and veterinary technicians. And the respondents under 30 were at more likely experiencing burnout. And I think that is, you know, crazy. Now, in general, the vet population is young. 38% of veterinarians are age 40 or under. And why? Why the burnout? What, what, what is the issues? What are they experiencing nowadays that we never did. And I look at it and it's a really, it's a difference of perspective, I guess, because long hours. Well, I was working seven days a week. So long hours never bothered me. Ethical and moral challenges. We know going in, there are going to be some. I've been on both sides and you deal with it. You're going to have to make some tough, tough decisions sometimes. 
I did something once that I'll never do again. I learned from it. Did it make me so depressed that I would even consider burnout or even suicide? By now, you know, veterinary medicine actually took over the number one spot from dentistry as the medical professionals that are most likely to commit suicide, which again, it really does. We've talked about this before on the show. It blows my mind. I, I, I don't even see it. I don't see how it's possible. And so I think that it's all about expectation. These young people are coming in thinking that this is going to be all, it's all so easy. It's all so much fun. It's about, you get to play with dogs all day. You get to play with cats all day. You get to hug your horses. Yeah, that's true. But you know that you're going to have trouble. You know you're going to have some flubs. You know that animals are going to die on the table. You know that these things are going to happen and you do your best. And if you do your best, then, you know, don't question. And it happens to everybody. So, and something's beyond your control, beyond your control. It just happens and you deal with it. So uh, bullying, that's something a lot of them can't take. Now we have the internet. Back then we didn't have the internet, but it, it does happen. There are certain people out there that are very obnoxious and that's life. And you know, they are. So when someone bullies, you have to fight back, bully back, or just ignore it, but don't let it get to you. If you don't have thick skin, then that might be a problem. Um, bullying. So, and also there's, you know, um, the online obviously contributes to the bullying. I know personally of a story of a young veterinarian that did take her life, subject of a very, very obnoxious rescue group. Um, I'm sure none of you, none of you have ever encountered obnoxious rescue people. I'm being very facetious. And, uh, you know, it's just part of the game. And they, they were very, very mean with her and she couldn't handle it. You know, I think back, I hear the story and I would have been so opposite of, of her response to make the, the rescue group look like the idiots that they were. And it's very sad. I know a few stories actually where if these young doctors had been counseled, had been advised how to handle the situation, they would have come out way on top, smelling like a rose, and they would have a lines out the door waiting to see them. Instead, she let it get to her. She didn't think she had a new practice. It's financially, it's very difficult nowadays, especially. And again, in all fairness, my student debt when I graduated vet school was zero. I paid $500 a quarter, $1,500 a year, $6,000 tuition for my four combined years at UC Davis, number one vet school in the country. But now it's, it's in the thousands and thousands. And the average student debt, I think, is something like $225,000. And it takes a while to pay that back. And I get it. I get it. But um, I don't know. It, just, it saddens me to, to think that burnout is an issue. And the way I look at it, if you burned out, you did something wrong. You didn't identify what you love about your job. And more importantly, what you didn't love or don't love about your job. And the really the beauty is that in veterinary medicine, because there is so many things to do, so many different avenues to take, switch or delegate. That's what I always say. If you don't like doing something, delegate. Find an associate who does like doing it and let them do it. And then you get stuck only doing that which you love. I mean, I had an associate who had severe arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, since she was in high school. She didn't do well, couldn't really like, she didn't like surgery. Guess what? I love surgery. I used to send her my medicine cases and she was amazing. And she would give me her surgery cases. It was fantastic. So I think, you know, for anyone out there who's young, veterinarian, hopeful, who really, this is where they want to go. Trust me, I've wanted to do everything since I was five. Just know it's not all roses. There are going to be tough days. There are going to be things that you're going to be challenged by. There are going to be people that are going to challenge you, people that are going to just upset you. You just can't let it get you. That's part of the goal. It's their problem, not your problem. 
don't let it get you. Veterinary medicine is the best profession on the planet. If you are an animal lover, if you like medicine, there's nothing better. And I don't even like medicine that much, science that much. I wasn't even that good at science. I was, obviously, I did very well in vet school, but it wasn't like my joy. I just said, oh my God, I want to be go to vet school because I want to be a, a medical doctor. No, I did it because I the passion for the animals and everything else just fell into place. Anyway, don't go away, but right back out for these short messages. We're going to talk about another thing it's, that happens all the time, and it is becoming very, very, very misunderstood, and I'm getting to bother me, and that is vaccines. We need to review vaccines, vaccine protocols, because there are too many of you out there that are being misled, and I'm going to set the record straight for you. Don't go away. Looking for a dental treat that does more for your dog? Daily Dose is a two-in-one chew that pairs a daily dental scrub with powerful supplements to help with the biggest health concerns facing our dogs. Daily Dose was developed by vets to be simple to use and super effective. Plus, dogs love the taste. Available for joint, skin, heart health, or calming. Daily Dose, your pet's daily dose of awesome. Visit yourpetsdailydose.com to save $3 on your first bag with promo code PETLIFE. That's yourpetsdailydose.com. Help your dog from the inside out with Caniotic Daily Probiotic for Dogs. Caniotic's superior and exclusive technology makes it the only dog probiotic from the dog for the dog. Your dog's gastrointestinal tract is important to their well-being, and a daily dose of Caniotic is one easy way you can support it. Caniotic, C-A-N-I-O-T-I-C, is available on Chewy.com. Add it to your cart today and give it a try. Are you listening to this right now with a cell phone clenched between your teeth as you frantically flip pages on your paper calendars? Or are you a new breed of groomer, bred for speed and efficiency of movement? 123Pet software automates your communications, doing the reminding, confirming, thanking, and marketing for you. 123Pet centralizes your schedule, employees, clients, inventory, and more. 123Pet is the business management software you need. Start minding your business today. Visit 123PetSoftware.com. Porkchop, his coat is very thick. He's an Akita, German Shepherd, Lab, Husky Mix. Harold, the Border Collie Pit Mix, has the most beautiful jet black coat. Stuart, my rat carrier, has fur now where he never had it before. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Dynavite will give them a beautiful, lustrous coat. It will make you smile. You get some Dynavite, how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're live with Dr. Jeff and Ninja Black Ninja one of my six cats and um i don't know i was i put him up to the mic to see if you can hear him purring away he's just he's such a great cat such a love he's a very funny water drinker he puts his whole head under a running faucet the water drips down his head into his face into his mouth and he's i don't know he must have learned this when he was an outdoor cat because he's all indoors now but uh, it was very cute anyway i work with a lot of rescues i work with some not many breeders but a lot of rescues and i'm still seeing a lot of 
problems with vaccines. So I'm going to give you just the puppy versus an adult. And we're going to talk about two things. Number one is what vaccines to give. And two are, we call that the core. And next up is going to be, what's the schedule? How do you, when are you starting vaccines? When should you start, et cetera? So we're going to go back for uh, years ago, the protocol, and I, I, can, I can remember as a kid, was six, eight, and 10 weeks. We've learned a lot of things since. And that is that you don't want to start a vaccine series at six weeks. Why? Because the pet's immune system isn't developed enough at six weeks to mount their response. Number reason number one. Number reason number two is chances are that puppy or kitten nursed from mom, okay? And mom's immunity was delivered, it's called passive immunity, through her colostrum in the first 24 to 36 hours of nursing. Even if they nurse for a day, you're going to get colostrum. And that's going to provide mom's antibody. That antibody is good anywhere from seven to eight up to 10 weeks. So we feel that cats start to develop an immune response or the ability to mount an immune response at around seven to eight weeks of age. I like eight weeks. So some of the basics of a vaccine, you need to give in series at least two, and you need to start around eight weeks. And we feel by 16 weeks, even 15 to 16 weeks, 99 for whatever, a very high percent of cats and dogs have the ability to mount that immune response. It's going to take them a year out. So do the math. You don't, you don't want to separate any two vaccines by more than four weeks. You want to start at eight and end at 16, and you can't do more than four weeks. So that means what? All you got is 8, 12, 16. And that is the recommended schedule. 7, 11, 15, I can live with. 8, 12, 16 is ideal. Cats, by the way, they say that you only need the first two that they have an immune system developed enough by 12 weeks to mount that long-term one-year uh, response. I personally don't want to take any chances. So I also do my cats 8, 12, 16. Now, when you have, I look at paperwork from a breeder or from a, a rescue, and they gave shots at eight weeks. Oh my God. So here you're giving a vaccine at eight weeks. What is vaccine? A vaccine is the antigen. A vaccine is the enemy. You are wanting the body to mount an immune response to fight the enemy. But there is no enemy on board. There's no ability to do that. You're giving it. So what is what is fighting the vaccine, right, is going to be, and um, it's going to be the mom's antibody, mom's immunity. So you're giving an antigen, you're giving a vaccine. It's attenuated. It's, it's modified. It's not, it's not going to cause a disease, but it's there. As soon as the antibodies that mom gave that puppy or kitten in the colostrum are going to see that vaccine, which is antigen, and it's going to attack it. What's going to happen is now you don't have you have no antibody left, and you have you have a young animal that can't make any antibody, so they're sitting duck. You used up all mom's antibody by giving the vaccine too early, so you don't want to do that. That's why it's important to wait until the body can mount its own immune response. So ideally, 7, 11, 15, 8, 12, 16. Now let's say you have an animal that you're just starting, all right, at maybe 12, 13, 14 weeks of age. Or maybe you have a rescue with no record at all of vaccine. So then you have two choices. Number one, you're going to give at least two. So you're going to give a vaccine at whatever age it is and three to four weeks later. Or this is where you can do a titer test to see if the animal has its own immunity already. And if it does, then that's great. Now, rabies, you don't have to do in series. And every state has a different requirement for rabies, when to start. In California, it's at 16 weeks. You only need one. The first shot's only, if it's given to a, a dog or a cat less than a year of age, it's only good for one year. And then you booster it after that, and those are good for three years. Unless you're using a particular cat vaccine called PureVax, which is very good, that's only good for one year. Now, so for those things, you need to talk to your veterinarian. Now, what about with a minute or two we have left? What vaccines to give? What are you vaccinating against? 
that's where you have to really, it depends on where you live and what the potential for a pet's exposure is, okay? In here in LA, where I live, the core vaccines are the distemper parvo and bordetella, and of course, rabies required by law. That's it. Now, do I give lepto for every animal? No. Do I give corona? No. Do I um, give Lyme disease? No. Rattlesnake? No. Not to every. When do I consider lepto a rattlesnake? If I have a pet that I know spends a lot of time hiking with the owner, where they're going by you know, little streams and ponds, there are rodents and animals that could be shedding lepto, then yes, I recommend lepto. If they are going to an area that are known to have rattlesnakes, then yes, I'm going to give up that rattlesnake. It's all about lifestyle. Lyme, here in LA, no. But if I know that they spend time going back east during the summer, then yes, uh, before they're going, I'm going to make sure they have their Lyme disease vaccine. So this is where that relationship with a veterinarian is very important to determine what shots do I really need and when do you boost? Again, this is up to the veterinarian and locale. Um, most of the shots now are good for three years. Bordetella is not. That's still a one year or even six months if they frequent doggy daycare, grooming parlor, you know, boarding facilities. I would do it every six months. Now, titers. I am a big fan of titers. There are some that will start titering right after the series, a year after the series, they'll titer. Others, like myself, I'd like to give them a one-year booster after the puppy or kitten series. After that, for puppies, um, I do titer all the time. Cats, only because there really is no in-house titering, and it's expensive to get those titers done. So every three years, I will give. Now, my cats, I'm in LA, California, where rabies is not required. Do I give my, cat, my six indoor-only cats rabies? No, I have not invited a bat or a squirrel or a skunk or a raccoon into my house ever. So am I worried about rabies? No, I'm not. How about leukemia? No, I don't vaccinate for that either. Why? Because I'm worried about two things. Number one is feline vaccine-induced sarcoma from getting vaccines. And it seems like leukemia, is, it does happen. And they're not going to get leukemia because they're indoor only. They're not mingling, spending long-term with, with a, a leukemia-positive cat. So why am I going to give them a leukemia shot? So again, it's all about potential for contagion. It's all about the likelihood of a virus and also the effects. That's why I don't give corona. What is corona for a dog? Coronavirus for a dog is an intestinal virus. It's kind of like a 24-hour stomach flu. It's not like our coronavirus. It's a 24-hour stomach flu. They get over it. Do I want to waste a vaccine and, and tax the immune system and worry about the adjuvant and the preservatives when dogs get reactions? That's what they're reacting to. For a vaccine they, they don't even really need, I'd rather have it. If they're going to get a 24-hour stomach flu and get diarrhea for a day, let them get diarrhea for the day. They take care of it themselves. So anyway, I highly recommend do some homework, do some reading, talk to your veterinarian. And, and with breeders, trust me, I've tried so many times to re-educate them as to what the normal protocol should be and the schedule. And I get stuff like, oh, sure, Sonny, you know, I've been breeding these dogs here for 40 years, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to change. I know, I know what I'm doing. And you try, I try to explain to them, things change every five years. Half of what was gospel is now obsolete and they've been doing it for 40 years. So it kind of gets me a little bit worried or actually it kind of gets me a lot of bit worried because I think these animals are unprotected. And when I see parvo and yet they had a parvo vaccine, you know what I noticed also? That they got the vaccine at six, five to six weeks of age. So that now that the dog's a sitting duck. So anyway, enough of my soapbox. If you have any questions about this, please feel free to reach out to me, drjeff at petliferadio.com. That's drjeff at petliferadio.com. 
Uh, you can also reach me directly, go onto my Facebook page, Dr. Jeff Werber. You can also go onto my Instagram, at Dr. Jeff Werber, and I'd be happy to answer your questions and speak to you about these things. You can always go log on to AirVet and you can reach me live on video camera. We can talk about this. I can see your pet. I would love to give you advice, help you out whenever I can. Anyway, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio and have a great week, everybody. I hope you enjoy as I will eating all the leftover candies that you may have because nobody came to your house. Anyway, and uh, have a great week. We'll see you here same time, same channel next week here on Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.